Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Pulling the Strings podcast here, as always, powered by Puppet. My name is Ben Ford. I'm the ecosystem product manager here at Puppet, and active in the community is uh, Ben Ford 2K. Today, we are talking with Michael Lombardi. Uh, he's our kind of a resident PowerShell expert. You may have heard, uh, seen him in, in the Slack or uh, seen some of the things that he's been working on. And being an expert, he's probably tired of me slacking him all the time with weird and obscure PowerShell or DSC questions. But no surprise that since he's a wizard at that, he's also known for uh, pickaroons. And you may have to correct my pronunciation on that. Uh, it's a tabletop role-playing game for scoundrels that he's building in his free time. So Mike, could you tell us about that game a little bit, if that's okay? Yeah, um, sure. Thanks for the shout-out, by the way. I uh, didn't see that coming. Um yeah, so I've been doing indie uh, tabletop role-playing game development for a while now. Um, actually, a uh, very smart, well-read person in the community, Marcia, um, had written a blog post about uh, different ways to use dice, uh, and that captured my attention. And what I thought was going to start as just sort of a like a little bit of a, a blog post, maybe, or like a little joke, um, very quickly ballooned into a whole system, uh, had sort of one of those ADHD moments where it's like, well, I'll just do this thing for like maybe five minutes and then five hours later you're done. And you're like, oh, well, I guess that's a whole thing now. So real simple, lightweight. Um, there's no stats. It's just hit dice, domains, and tricks. Um, and it all works off of rolling a couple of dice. Um, very lightweight little framework uh, that is sort of intended to be very uh, kit bashable, very um, moddable push it into whatever sort of setting uh, you have in mind. And I've got a couple of supplements in the works for that right now. First of which is the Scrivener's Kit, which is basically uh, tips for running a game, includes a bunch of addenda, you know, optional rules, kind of flesh out that very basic system. I think the the original system Pickerons itself is like 20 pages if I stretch it with art and a lot of white space tops. So there's a lot of fun to work on. Uh, got a bunch of stuff in the pipeline for it, continually working on it. I'm itch funding it right now, which is sort of an alternative to um, Kickstarter because Kickstarter is a nightmare. Uh, <laughs> anybody who's ever run one hates it, but you know, uh, it's a way for me to get the money for uh, layout and editing to clean it up and, and put it in the right state to do like a physical release. Because uh, it turns out you can just update the digital whenever you want, uh, as often as you like, and it's totally fine. It's a little bit harder to reach into people's houses and like snatch up a copy and then fix a, uh, a mistake there. So trying to get everything right before we hit publish. Did I just hear you say that you were uh, applying CI principles to your game development? I actually do. Um, so all joking aside, the digital iteration um, is all written in Markdown. And um, I published to another side project I have, which is called Platin, which is uh, sort of a digital toolkit for interactive books in a digital format. Uh, I won't go too deep into it, but sort of uh, standing alone on the hill, PDFs are terrible and we shouldn't use them for um, digital releases and being yelled at for that. But so uh, doing it all through Platin means that I have CI that takes my stuff from draft. Uh, I use Netlify, so I get an automatic preview and everything's just kind of nice. But that also includes like linting um, and I'm getting ready to add some uh, accessibility uh, linting to it as well. So like right now it just checks that my markdown is correct. But in the future, it'll also check language and, and remove things like there's l little stuff that's pretty common, uh, such as like instead of saying guys, say folks, that sort of thing. So trying to get all of those pieces up together, and then that goes hand in hand with actual human editors who pass over the work and approve it or, or uh, suggest changes and that sort of thing. That sounds really cool. We should uh, get uh, community members involved in, in your game. 
Um, I remember uh, way, way, way back in the day, I used to play GURPS every now and then because it was it was so lightweight. You could just pick it up for an evening or a weekend or something and not have to put a whole ton of time into like building a character and growing it and evolving <laughs> it. So I bet you haven't heard the name GURPS in a, a very long time. Um, well, my first uh, role-playing game was actually Rifts. Uh, so my idea of what is lightweight, heavyweight is just entirely upended. I have no idea how you're <laughs> supposed to balance things or anything like that, but... GURPS still pops up occasionally in the community. I think people are still, I think they're still putting out supplements, believe it or not. Oh, wow. Um, despite it being, what, 30-ish years old now? Something like that. It's it's kind of fascinating how these like little like sparks of an idea just kind of grow and uh, uh, take on a life of their own. One of my own projects, like I, I think maybe my, my most popular project, it actually started from a, a little friendly argument at a uh, puppet conf years ago. And just like by the end of that puppet comp, I was like, see, it totally works. Look at that. And it just kind of kept growing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm familiar with those conference-driven development um, yep. and discussion-driven development as well. So here we're going to talk about DSC. We've got a brand new DSC framework that uh, James Pogram and Mike uh, have been working on. And I'm a little bit curious. There's a couple of like, like maybe we'll start with like, what, what is Puppet's history with the, the DSC and why, why did we build uh, DSC support into Puppet proper? Yeah. So with the caveat that I wasn't around for the very first iteration, I can speak to it a little bit. So um, Puppet and Microsoft actually partnered very, very closely when DSC was first coming out. Um, there were talks before DSC had been publicly announced between Puppet and Microsoft, if I understand correctly. Um, and so the, the goal really was to make sure that when DSC launched, uh, DSC being Microsoft's desired state configuration platform. So when that launched, the idea was on day zero, you would already be able to kind of like start using those DSC resources. And so DSC is a way for you to define in PowerShell um, sort of the, the same things that you would define in a Puppet resource, like what is this thing and how do I configure it? And DSC had uh, some slightly different concerns from, from Puppet's concerns. Um, DSC was really aiming uh, in a lot of ways to be a hierarchical uh, agnostic uh, tool, right? So you would layer a CM tool on top of DSC. DSC did have an implementation that would carry you from like, I have the resources now, right? I can configure a thing. I want to tell a machine what to look like with these resources. You can do that in just DSC, um, but you very quickly run into problems that Puppet people are familiar with. Problems like, okay, these, these VMs need to look almost exactly the same except this is for app A and this is for app B and they get slightly different config settings. How do I do that? Um, so you can kind of get around those things in DSC, but um, the more complex that, that use case becomes, and of course it immediately becomes astronomically complex as you begin to look at, at applying it to legacy stuff. Yeah. Oh, we know that. <laughs> um, the, the harder it is to just use DSC, right? Um, so it, it sounds like you're saying that DSC is more like primitives and it expects you, or maybe doesn't expect it, it, it provides those primitives to uh, higher level uh, tools, configuration management tools like Puppet to actually orchestrate and, and uh, manage nodes and, and think about like an infrastructure level rather than the primitives to, to make individual settings. Yep, exactly. Um, and that's, that's really the, the biggest advantage of partnering Puppet with DSC was... Anybody who uses infrastructure that can be um, configured or changed with PowerShell could then reuse those um, those primitives regardless of what CM tool they were using. So the advantage there from a community perspective is if I write a DSC resource 
It'll work with Puppet, but it'll also work with Chef, and it'll work with Ansible. And what that means is, instead of you only have this uh, relatively smaller community, you have all of the community of people who want to manage that resource uh, available who can who can write and maintain for it. And so that was really powerful. And a lot of it has uh, first party, like Microsoft engineers who had implemented it originally or still maintain some of it. So that was really, really useful too, because uh, having been on the, the, the modules team at Puppet at one point, a perennial problem, right, is it is functionally impossible to be an expert in all software uh, that can be configured. It turns out people just keep making more of it, like the longer you sit around. And so having other people write that for you is a strong advantage. Yeah, to be honest, I... I have wanted for a very long time for something like that to exist in the uh, the Linux or Unix world. And we've done a ton of, like over the years, even I, I remember back in 2001, there was some tool that Red Hat made that I used, and I can't remember the name of it now, but it attempted to be that thing that, that knew how the HTTP comp file worked and also the Etsy password file worked and also all the other files. So you didn't have to do any of that. And we now have like Augeus and other things. But there's nothing just universal. There's nothing in, in the Linux world that's universal the way that it sounds like uh, DSC has, has become. Yeah. And, and the advantage of that is that um, it sort of fulfills a longstanding promise of PowerShell, right? Which is if you learn PowerShell, we'll make it worth your time. That was something that the team had originally been very clear about. And so what happens is um, you learn PowerShell and you're probably using scripts to maintain a lot of the things um, that you're doing here or you, or you, you know, bounce into a box over WinRM and you say, okay, let me go ahead and change this setting. And then you bounce back out. And the Windows world is a little bit slower um, to pick up on just how much easier and better your quality of life gets. If you kind of shift those problems left into treating that that infrastructure uh, as code, um, which has always been where Puppet shines. Well, that would, that would mean that we would all have to agree on something. And you know, that's something we're really good at. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. Humans famously good at agreeing across groups. Um, yeah, for sure. So we've done a couple of iterations of uh, different DSC support. Uh, I think this is this is now our third iteration. Could you tell us about the other two and like uh, how how this is different, and maybe yeah. maybe a little bit about what this what this uh, uh, system that you built does that the other ones don't. Yeah, sure. So the very first iteration, because Puppet was working hand in hand with Microsoft. Um, it was very tightly coupled to how DSC first rolled out. So it was able to uh, parse the MOF files, which is machine something file, machine oriented or orchestrator file. Anyway, uh, an esoteric XML-ish format uh, that is absolutely awful to work with. But we were able to write a parser for that so we could look at a, a DSC resource and say, okay, this is what Puppet needs to know about it. And then uh, we could turn that into um, Puppet resource calls, right? So. Puppet just sort of would natively understand how to you would you would write um, a definition in a manifest, and then Puppet could just take that and then invoke DSC. Um, now this was really really good um, because it meant that we had strong mapping of everything that was happening in DSC, which meant that we could do things like say you enter the wrong data type, right? This is supposed to be a boolean. You put down um, something else. Uh, we could tell you at uh, author time if you goofed. Uh, it also meant that we could do a little bit of work around validating and calling. But because it came out at the same time that DSC first launched, it was very tightly coupled to how DSC was then conceived of and implemented and released. And as with all software, uh, it turns out it doesn't stay static. Things change. Um, you learn new idioms and you learn new best practices, and then you adopt those new best practices. 
And so as those adoptions kept coming, uh, it turned out that the the original sort of layer between Puppet and DSC got more and more fragile. Uh, it became much harder to maintain. And the way that it worked is we would turn hundreds and hundreds of DSC resources into Puppet resources in a single module. But because that was slow and kind of fragile and it didn't always work, and there was a lot of going back and fixing and handholding that had to happen on our end, that meant that our releases were slow, so they would be out of date. So if there was a bug fix in a DSC uh, resource and you wanted it right now, you might not get it for a month, maybe two, right? We were doing it on a sort of as-needed cadence um, by the end of, of that. And so we realized that that was not great, um, particularly for customers who were like, no, I need the updated functionality right now. I contributed it to the DSC resource, right? And in a lot of cases, that was happening. Puppet um, customers and Puppet users would find a problem in DSC via using it with Puppet, file a bug report, get it fixed, and then have to wait for us to update. And that's not a good experience. So we wanted to do something to bridge the gap. We were like, we need to, we need to reapproach this. And so the bridge of the gap solution, DSC Lite, we just sort of said, all those nice things that we were doing for you that put up the guardrails, that's what makes it fragile. We're going to knock all the guardrails off, and we are just going to enable you to do the things you need to do. But we won't hold your hand along the way. Right. We have to paint a giant dragon on the map now because you're definitely in dragon territory. Yeah, I, I, I was in education at the time, and I, I remember the uh, uh, big difference for us was that, like that massive, massive plug-in sync time the very yeah. first time that uh, the, the module got synced out and how, how much better that got with DSC Lite. But that was only because we were sitting there looking at it in, in real world. That wasn't really that big of that, as much of a deal. Yeah. And one, that was one of the other problems, right? Was so our initial DSC implementation vendored all of the things that you needed. Um, DSC Lite doesn't. DSC Lite has no way of knowing as a Puppet module whether or not the um, the PowerShell module containing the DSC resources you want is on the system. So how do you distribute them? So like, you, like that, that means that you as a user have to get the, the, the DSC resource everywhere you need it, right? Exactly. And so there's two options, right? There's one, which is go outside of Puppet and just do it yourself. Um, and then there's um, a couple of Puppet options. You could do files. Uh, you could just like you know copy the folder from a share drive somewhere and, and throw it down in the boxes as needed. Uh, Henry Buckle, H. Buckle on the Forge has a Forge module that uh, handles some of that. And we've been in talks with Henry about whether or not we should adopt it and kind of pull that in. Um, a lot of that has been obviated by the new DSC stuff. Um, when James and I sat down to to do a reapproach, we're like, okay, we're no longer constrained by anything that we did before. What if we started fresh? Um, and uh, so that's what we did. We sat down, we thought that through, and then came up with what we have now. Well, that's that's really good because honestly, as, as you were saying that, I was kind of having flashbacks as to how miserable that was trying to figure out how to get the DSC resources shipped around where we needed them to be. Yeah, it was not a fun experience for sure. Yeah, and, and, and it always felt like I had to know too much about the tools that what all I wanted to do was just make config uh, changes. And I was like, I thought Puppet just made it easy for me to manage configuration. Why do I have to know all of these weird details? Absolutely. And that was one of the things that we wanted to address. Our, our focus with the, the new implementation was to take all of those problems and shift them left again, put them back on our plate uh, and pull them off of the user's plate. Um, and so that was really front of mind for me and James when we started on this project. And then um, I kind of kept that front and center as I uh, became the lead designer and maintainer for it. Right on. I, I really like that that approach. It's like, if, if we can solve the problem for you, then you don't have to worry about it yourself. So could you tell us about like how the new DSC modules work and like what's so revolutionary about them? 
Yeah, absolutely. So um, the original builder uh, that, that did all like the, the nice guardrails uh, was written in Ruby, which also meant that you had to know Ruby to know how to use it. So we were like, okay, we're starting from scratch. What should we use to look at a DSC module? Well, why don't we use the language it's written in? So we decided from the very beginning to do this entire implementation in PowerShell. Um, so there is a PowerShell module up on the PowerShell gallery called puppet.dse that, that does this work. And so what this does is this introspects on a PowerShell module with DSC resources. It looks through all the resources that that module has, and then it maps out um, their API surface, everything that, that you should be able to call and use those resources for. And it turns that uh, into a Puppet resource. Um, so this was really a thing that we couldn't do originally because the resource API did not yet exist. But now with the resource API, when you define a type, you're very much just sort of writing uh, some key value pairs into a hash, right? It's very, very straightforward comparatively. And so we were able to use PowerShell to map the DSC resources and then tell Puppet very neatly, this is what a DSC resource looks like. And the project uh, involved a whole lot of metaprogramming, <laughs> which is writing code that writes code, which uh, is a little bit of a, a brain pretzel for you. But because of that, what we ended up with is a system whereby the actual Ruby and Puppet code that ships with these, these generated DSC modules, and I'll get to that in a second, is very, very minimal. Um, it actually just inherits uh, some base uh, types base providers from um, our Ruby PowerShell module and gem, which meant that if you need to get an update that will affect all of the DSC resources, you don't have to wait for all of the DSC resources to be rebuilt. Instead, you just update this other dependency and then everything can take advantage of it. So what you're saying is that we've got basically kind of a translation library that takes a DSC resource and turn like, like takes the code of a, a, a puppet module that knows uh, about the DSC resource and actually interfaces with DSC itself. If, if, if we need to update something about that, li that library, it'll just, it will improve the behavior of all the, the DSC resources that we have on the forge. Yep. And um, sometimes that involves, sometimes there's a very minimal uh, update that has to happen to the uh, existing DSC resources. Like if we add a whole new feature that has to be exposed in the type, um, that'll require a rebuild, but those rebuilds are very fast and they can be done sort of on an as needed basis, which was great because again, the old, one of the, the largest problems we had with uh, the original DSC was that you didn't have uh, a way to kind of speed that process up. So if original DSC gave you all these guardrails, it, it knows what all the possible things that you can pass are, and it knows what a DSC resource looks like. And DSC Lite has no idea. You just hand it an arbitrary hash and you say, I hope these are the right things. I have no way of validating this before I run it. And the only way you know if something goes wrong is if it blows up when you run, uh, run pop it. Absolutely. So the new, the new method, because we're able to introspect on those DSC resources and find out what their API surface is, we can again tell you at author time. And since the original DSC module launched, there's also been the launch of our VS Code extension. So what does that mean? That means you have IntelliSense if you're using our language server extension, which, which is not just pinned to VS Code. VS Code is just the one that I talk about all the time because it's the one that I use. But if you're using our language extension, then you can get author time feedback uh, about what it is you're writing and what the, the correct values are, and you get linting. And so you know while you're writing a manifest now if what you're doing is correct for that resource. So we can tell you before you ever try to run code, you goofed or no, this is correct. That is incredibly helpful. That's something that I use all the time. Yeah. And one of the other advantages is sort of when we were doing this, this redesign from the ground up, right? 
Um, we got something new uh, and very, very exciting from my perspective as a, as a uh, terminal uh, user of DSC. So DSC by default does not really care about state change in the same way that Puppet does. So DSC uh, resources, there's, there's three, um, I guess you can think of them as like uh, API points, right? Um, that, that you can hit for a DSC resource. You can get the resource, you can test the resource, and you can set the resource. But by default, DSC doesn't really track change of state over time. Um, and so when you run uh, set resource, it's up to the DSC resource author if they're going to track changing from current to uh, to new state. And it is almost never implemented. I, I can't think of any that actually implement this, although it is technically feasible. So what's good is that our new implementation, unlike DSC Lite, which has no way of knowing what the state ever was uh, until, until you run it, uh, and unlike our original DSC, which was sort of hampered by that API, we're now able to say, okay, I'm changing property A from one to two. Uh, and we can just see that across all of them, uh, which is great because one of the biggest advantages of using Puppet has always been, I want to see how my configuration has drifted over time and how I have uh, enforced the state that I know it's supposed to be in. And so now you can just do that with DSC. And as far as I know, um, our implementation is the only one uh, built on top of DSC that'll do that for you. If you're using DSC with any other thing, it's limited to the same get test set, right? And what that has always historically meant is uh, it's out of date. We're going to make it be in sync. Why was it out of date? Uh, I don't know. So, so like the TLDR of this is parameter by, by parameter uh, reporting on what is out of out out of sync and what needs to change and what puppet did change exactly right so so it's not like this file was updated but it was like the contents of this file or the permissions of this file or whatever else yep exactly it it's surprising to me it, 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 like I'm kind of stumbling with words because I I, I don't know uh, why you would not want to build that into a system to begin with because that's such valuable insights into how your your infrastructure is working you know yeah I, I think a lot of that comes from it was built to be resource first um, and then ab abstraction uh, caller second right and so all of that functionality in Puppet does not live in the resource definition. All of that functionality, even in Puppet, lives in Puppet. So Puppet says, give me the state of the things, uh, and then which one are you iterating over? Okay, well, that was its current state. This is the state that you say it should have. Here's the diff. This is what I'm changing. And, and DSC doesn't really have that. DSC, also unlike Puppet, does not have a way... You, you can't say, I want to change just this property of these seven properties on this resource. DSC as designed is all or nothing. Um, so when you call set, it's on the resource author to make sure that it's not trying to unnecessarily um, perform oh, changes wow. that, that don't need to be there. Yeah. I, di I didn't know that that was the case. That's a that's a thing. Yeah, it, it means that they're, they're uh, a little rough to implement, right? Um, like having written some DSC resources, there's a lot of best practices. And one of those best practices is you only change exactly what you need to when you need to. But then there's also some some things that DSC resources were like, um, so f using files uh, as an example, you kind of can't change a file without changing the whole file, uh, right? So if I'm gonna if I'm going to rename the file, well under the hood that's actually moving the file, right? Right. Um, and and so for that implementation perspective, it's like, well if I'm if I'm doing that and changing the content, I don't want to do two things. I'll just create the new file and delete the old one, right? Um, and so all of that is up to the resource implementation uh, uh, under the covers. And so one of the nice things about our new approach is we're staying 
absolutely all the way out of that. We have no interest in getting into how the resource is written or uh, designed. We're just making sure that you can call it. And we're making sure that another advantage over original DSC is now it's on a module by module, PowerShell module basis. So if you grab a module that has you know these five resources, you don't need to grab all of the modules that we've puppetized, just that module with those resources, which is a, a significant advantage. And again, better than DSC Lite, we go back to vendoring those resources for you. So you know exactly what module with what resources at what version has been deployed, and you can control all of that. So the tool that you built is actually, I mean, I, I suppose you could call it a puppet module builder of a DSC resource module, mm -hmm. which is a lot of a lot of different words. Yep. And you talked a little bit about how how it works, but how how do the modules get published up to the forge? Yeah. Uh, so so that's a great question. So initially, the way that we did it was. I would have the PowerShell module available locally, uh, and I have the API keys to push to the forge, so I would do the build and push from my workstation. That is obviously not scalable. I like to take vacations. People sometimes release software while I'm on vacation. So what we did is we actually have a GitHub action now um, that runs um, every hour, and it just looks at the gallery for any DSC resources that have not yet been puppetized, and then I think it does the top five or 20. And so this is brand new um, modules that have never been that been puppetized before. And this is also modules that have a new version um, that has not yet been puppetized. And so what that means is we're pretty sure unless there's like a flurry of releases that's, you know, hundreds and hundreds, we can get anything that lands on the PowerShell gallery puppetized and pushed up to the forge within about a day. Well, that's like eventual consistency, right? It'll just keep running until they're all updated. But if, if, I, if I heard right, if I, as a, a DSC author, uh, publish something, it just automatically migrates to the Forge. If so I don't have to do anything to tell Puppet about it. I just put it up on the PowerShell gallery, and within X number of hours, the uh, the Forge also knows about it. Yeah, and the release cadence is very slow for DSC modules. They're not they're not launching like several an hour, so it's usually within an hour or two. Whatever you just published is going to land up on the Forge. That's really cool. And uh, so if somebody is wanting to like learn how to use the mod, uh, like if they go to the Forge and they find a module um, and they want to use that resource, uh, how do they figure out what to, like like what parameters it, it has or how they can uh, use the, mo the, the module there? Yeah, uh, another great question. So one of the advantages that this is just a DSC or this is just a puppet module, right, is that from the perspective of the Forge, it's treated just like a puppet module. So there's a reference.md file that gets generated prior to these things being published. So the same way that you look at all the other um, puppet resources that you might want to use, all of that same um, help information is available right there on the Forge. And then again, if you're using VS Code, all of that help information is surfaced by the extension for you. So uh, if I start typing uh, DSC underscore uh, website, right? By the time I'm getting to the S in website, it's already pulled up the help and it's like, did you want to write this one? Here's the help for it. And then you can auto uh, fill out the parameters from there as well. Right on. So, and, and you can use uh, like Puppet Resource on the, the command line to list out the parameters and everything too. So ju just like any other Puppet module. Yep. The, the biggest difference is again, because, um, because these resources don't have... Uh, property by property setting, even if you do puppet resource DSC underscore foo um, property equals blah, um, that will run that whole uh, right, right. DSC resource against it. So that's something to kind of keep in mind, but that does work. Getting the resources is a little bit different. Um, so puppet resources by default assume that like, uh, as, as an example, right? If I was listing the, um, the Apache sites on a node, 
uh, I could just do puppet resource and then uh, that that resource name, and then that would list back all of those, right? Or if I was doing firewall entries, it would list back all of those. DSC works on a single resource at a time, so you can't run puppet resource and expect it to tell you what that current state looks like. It just doesn't work, unfortunately. Oh, that's too bad. But I mean, not not all puppet resources work that way. The the ones that are enumerable. Uh, mm. Like you, you can't say puppet resource file and have it list out all the files on on a system. <laughs> I would you, not want it to. That would be very very slow. <laughs> but, you, but you could because uh, you could uh, with a user type because there's uh, only a, a finite number of users that can like would come out of the the password file or whatnot. Exactly. So I imagine that having these different translation layers because that's really what we're talking about is like there's a translation from from Puppet to the PowerShell library and from the PowerShell library to DSC and from DSC to the system itself. I mean, Puppet itself is one big translation layer from Puppet to the, the system. That's that's how we work. But I imagine all those extra layers makes troubleshooting a little bit difficult. And when we were first starting to deploy these, I remember hearing about some of the field engineers. Uh, Bill Wilcox was one I was, uh, was thinking of, kind of helped you troubleshoot some uh, problems in the field. Is there a story there? Could you tell me about how, like how that went or like how, how you go about troubleshooting things with uh, uh, so many uh, layers of the abstraction? Yeah. So um, one of the great things about that actually is that um, Bill and I uh, together worked on an actual troubleshooting guide for the DSC uh, resources via Puppet, right? Which makes it a whole lot easier when you can just follow step by step. So there are some things that we have a pretty good handle on. We kind of know what it is when we see the error message. And one of those is couldn't find the dependency gem uh, Ruby PowerShell. What does that mean? Well, that means that you didn't install the dependency library, which is um, Puppet Labs PowerShell lib, right? So when that pops up, we know exactly what that is. And that's a very quick fix. Um, there are other things um, that get a little bit stickier. And so one of the, just to kind of take a step back, when you write a manifest that's going to use one of these resources, here's what happens. So you've written a manifest in Puppet's language. So Puppet turns whatever you declared in your manifest into a Ruby hash. So this is, this is the shape of the thing, right? Because Puppet is written in Ruby and it needs to understand what that looks like. So now we have a Ruby hash. So we have a, a Puppet manifest declaration. Then we have a Ruby hash. That Ruby hash then has to be um, sort of munged inside of our um, library code to be able to create the right PowerShell hash to be handed over to DSC, which then says, okay, now I know what I'm doing and I'm going to go ahead and do some stuff and send some data back. So when DSC sends data back, we automatically turn that into JSON because I was certainly not about to write a uh, <laughs> PowerShell hash munger from Ruby. So instead that returns JSON. So now we know we're getting JSON back. We can convert that into a Ruby hash and then munge that back into the shape that Puppet expects. Um, because what PowerShell hands back in data structure types, key names, et cetera, is not always what Puppet is expecting. So we have to kind of munge that back. And then now we have the Ruby representation of what you put in your manifest, and we have the Ruby representation of what is on system, and we can compare those. And that's how you actually get that property by property reporting. So now we can say, oh, I'm going to change current state to desired state. Um, that's what allows that. So there are a couple of things that we can kind of do to troubleshoot. Um, the very first thing um, that we decided to do was if you run you if you do your puppet run in debug mode, if you add the, the debug flag dash dash debug to the end, you're gonna get a whole ton of debug statements that print out because those are really, really useful when we're looking at the DSC stuff. So one of the things that that'll print out is exactly what is being sent in PowerShell to DSC. So what that means is you can just copy that code out of your debug log 
and then take that over to uh, a PowerShell uh, terminal on the system that you're running from, and then just run that there. Uh, and so what that does is that says, okay, that's actually not all that different from how we uh, debug a lot of things with Puppet. Like like I said, Puppet mm -hmm. itself is a translation layer. Uh, when I write code to, I don't know, do something with a yum package or whatnot, I'm not li literally writing the command line that, that Puppet passes out to, to yum. It figures all that, that out for me, but it'll tell right. me what it's running. And so if something goes weird and I want to troubleshoot, I can do exactly what you just said and copy that command line out and run it and see what uh, what errors I get on the, the terminal. So it doesn't sound like it's that much more more complex to do it uh, with PowerShell. It's not. It tends to be a little bit longer because uh, instead of a single line, there's some helper um, functions that we had to throw in to kind of get everything to work. Um, but, but you can still take that entire block uh, and then run it. And so what that's really, really good for is finding out, is this bug that I just found with Puppet calling DSC or is this bug in DSC? Um, and because we don't write any custom code in these modules, we can't really, um, and, and frankly don't want to, be on the hook for fixing bugs in somebody else's code. That's a lot of work. Uh, I've done it before, um, and we, we still do occasionally, right? If, you, if I write up a good enough repro uh, of a problem that I'm debugging from uh, calling DSC from Puppet, I write up the repro and it looks like the fix is three or four lines, I might just go ahead and, and throw up a PR on the upstream project for that. But that really helps us narrow down, is this problem Puppet? Is this problem PowerShell DSC? Uh, where, where does that kind of lay? And so the normal problems that we see in Puppet's side, right? because the, the DSC side could be any number of things, but the normal problems we see on the Puppet side is there's a mistranslation. So something about the way that I designed that, that translation layer is not working correctly. Or uh, we also see this a fair amount. The API surface that the DSC resource declared does not match its implementation, um, which looks at first glance like a puppet problem, but is actually an upstream problem. Because uh, an unfortunate truth about DSC resources is they're written in such a way that you can actually write API spec that does not match your implementation, and DSC has no way of knowing. DSC, when it runs, doesn't look at its own API spec, it just looks at its implementation. Um, and so you can end up in a case where common example of this is if you call get on a resource, the resource does not require that it returns all of the key value pairs that it can possibly have. So you could just be missing things. Uh, and so then when Puppet gets it, it says, oh, well, I don't know what the name of this resource is. That's nil. No, well, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so the other thing that we do uh, that, that Bill and I have done quite a bit is we can do Pry debugging. We have a blog post on this as well. And so Pry, Pry is a Ruby tool for stepping through uh, code as it executes, which means that we can sort of, if, if things are getting really sticky, we can see exactly what's going on, right? Where does that problem lie? And we can, we can kind of go and figure those things out. These problems have been largely smoothed out um, over the last several iterations. Um, we still get a couple of bug requests that, that come in, um, but a lot of them were obviated by sort of um, a, a, we actually had to, um, add to the Puppet API surface for how you tell if a resource is in a desired state or not. And so for, for these DSC resources, you now have two options. You can do the default, which is I want property by property reporting, which is how all of the rest of Puppet works. And you can also say, okay, I give up on property by property reporting. Something's weird in the DSC resource. I'm just going to do, uh, I'm going to trust DSC and I'm going to run that test interface. And if the test comes back true, I won't change any state. And if it comes back false, I don't know what's wrong, but I know I need to run set, um, which is sort of the, the, the default DSC behavior. And so we're able to do both of those 
within the same module with very little extra code, and that all just sort of works. Cool. Now, maybe, maybe we can move on, uh, uh, kind of like uh, shift gears a little bit. I was curious about something that I've, I've been hearing kind of rumblings about with big changes coming to uh, DSC with uh, DSC3 and, and how... How exactly is that going to affect uh, your modules and the, and the Puppet infrastructure? Yeah, um, so good news, bad news, right? Um, so good news, the primary way that, that Puppet interacts with DSC is um, skips the DSC agent and uses uh, uh, invoke DSC resource, which is PowerShell command. Um, and so that's always been single resource, uh, and you give it the properties that you want to change, and then it goes off and does its thing. So the great news is that's staying the same, from that perspective, we don't need to change anything. So the bad news is the new version of DSC is going to require class-based resources, which make up, I think, less than 10% of all DSC resources, which means if you want to flip to using that, you're going to have to wait for those resources to be re-implemented as classes instead of uh, functions. And there's also going to be a little bit of um, work that we'll have to do around uh, Right now, we just flat out say we're only supporting Windows PowerShell 5.1 and above. Um, and the reason for that is that the DSC engine uh, is only released stable under that, that version of PowerShell. Um, so new DSC is going to be PowerShell 7 forward, and it'll be actually cross-platform, which is pretty neat. But the downside, of course, is that uh, it's only in 7 and it's going to be all class-based. So there's a little bit of work that we have to do. Like right now, we just dump out and say like, well, we can't do anything in, in PowerShell 7, so we're not even going to try. We're just going to fall back on Windows PowerShell. Um, we may have to implement a migration strategy there that sort of allows you to use both side-by-side -side for a time until the new way is the only way that anybody's still supporting. But for right now, that's still out on the horizon. Uh, DSC v3, I think, is slated for release sometime in 2022. Um, and I do not expect release to have, you know, more than maybe 15, 20% of all of the resources converted over to be even compatible with V3. So people will probably still be using V2 for quite a while. So, so maybe kind of a, a step back. Um, when you talk about function versus class, I, maybe of like a, a super, 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 like a, a high level, you could say that this is maybe analogous to like a script versus an object-oriented pro programming language? Or what, what, what exactly does that mean? Yeah, so um, they're both written in pure PowerShell. But so the function-based approach has a MOF file, which defines the interface. And it has a function file. Um, uh, really, it's a, it's a module file that contains some functions, test resource, get resource, and set resource. Um, I think target resource, get, set, and test target resource. And so the migration from that to class-based is now you can use PowerShell classes and define the entire thing right there. So the class then becomes both the API um, declaration and the implementation, which is all around quite a bit neater. There's some drawbacks around testability and, and those sorts of things, but um, you know, by and large, um, they're much more easy to reason about because they're a, a single class and a single file, and that's just a lot less, uh, no jumping back and forth between two different windows trying to figure out what is what and why um, things work the way that they do, which I'm, I'm hoping means that the gap between the declared API and the implemented API will shrink considerably. 
So in a way that like the class itself is sort of self, uh, self-documenting self the, the way that if you look at a puppet class, uh, it, you can see what all the parameters are and what it, it accepts. Exactly, yeah. So um, that's going to be a big change. It's a lot of work. The PowerShell team is talking about writing a tool that will help convert function-based uh, DSC resources into class-based re- DSC resources. When you say PowerShell team, you're talking about Microsoft's PowerShell. Yeah, yeah, correct. Okay. <laughs> no, no, I'm not doing it. Wow, that'd be a lot of work. Um, but it, they'll face a lot of the same problems that that we've seen before at Puppet, right? When you're when you're changing like between Puppet three, Puppet four, when you do major changes like that, any automated tooling you can give people is really only going to go eighty ish percent of the way tops, uh, and then thereafter there will still be a lot of sort of like smudging things into place. And so I expect that that process won't be fast, and it's one of those things where. What do you mean we're we're all running uh, uh, Python three now, aren't we? Yeah, it's absolutely been that way for years, of course. Um, I'm not even on Ruby 3 at this point. I should probably uh, start taking a peek at that. I've been on 2.7 for a while. But yeah, it's it's going to be it's gonna be a slow sort of process. And for the first 6, 12 months that DSC v3 is out, it's going to be bug hunting season because there's going to be... The, any major change like this always means that there are new edge cases that they'll have to discover uh, and work through. Um, and so while we're going to to be there through that process and we want to make sure that that we are adding support as early as possible, I don't expect adoption of that support to be necessarily very high. So what do, uh, this is kind of a two part question here is like, what do you have to do in order to move along with this change? And based on what you said earlier about the PowerShell library, I suspect that it's mostly going to be in that uh, interface uh, library. And then the second part is, what is the impact to the end users of our modules? So the the impact of the end users should be they can use newer resources, and that's about it. Um, so the code would just continue to work. Exactly. They shouldn't really notice any changes. Um, there will be a little bit of work in the translation layer so that we can determine uh, in that dependency library between whether or not we're running for Windows PowerShell or we're running for PowerShell 7 and above. So there'll be a little bit of work there. Um, but the largest portion of the work will land in our PowerShell module that does that conversion, where right now it just says, look, I'm not going to get you anywhere if we're using PowerShell 7. It's just not going to function. So we'll have to actually implement that, and we'll we'll have to have some logic for what are you trying to parse, because the old DSC resources can't be parsed in 7, and the the only the new resources will be able to be parsed that way, because it relies on... That's a hard change. Yeah, so the old method involved um, SIM, which is... Computer interface management, I think, something like that. Anyway, so it involved sim instances and mapping these these sort of esoteric uh, spells cast by the system and, and figuring out what all that stuff looks like. The PowerShell 6 and above does not have sim instances, so they cannot be mapped that way. So how we map the resources will have to change entirely. Now, my hope is, with everything moving to class-based, I can actually do what I wanted to do in the first place, which is parse the abstract syntax tree, the AST, which is sort of how a program interprets a script file uh, or a code file. So it, it tells you, uh, when you when you parse the AST, it knows what all the code blocks are, it knows about all the variables and all those kinds of things. So ideally, we can go much, much faster because I don't have to load anything into memory. I can just do a static analysis of a file and then tell you what the shape of the thing is supposed to be. And then we can get all the exact same stuff that we're getting now just out of that instead. So effectively, you've got a bunch of work to do in order to translate between the different systems, but our end users, 
they could just keep writing puppet code. Yep. That was, that was uh, you know, sort of circling back to that original goal for this project was as much as possible, we want to move the maintenance and thinking ping off of the end user, which is where we put it with DSC Lite and back onto our plate. Um, if there's, you know, 40, 60 hours of engineering um, time and effort to spend on our side to enable hundreds of thousands of uh, skipped hours of the same work for other people, that seems like a win for us. Because that's our job is is to make sure that we can take these really hard problems that are tractable and pull those problems onto our plate so that you just get to have the nice dinner instead of like having to go find the ingredients, prep the ingredients, make the dinner, plate the dinner, and then eat the dinner. You should just be able to eat, right? So it's sort of moving from like, you know, go to the garden and find the right herbs to go to dinner. Um, that, that's kind of the way that I see our work. I, uh, I, I like the analogy. Uh, so, so for end users wanting to upgrade, all that all they have to do is is start moving to PowerShell seven and uh, upgrading the, their end nodes, and your tool will just kind of take it in in stride. Yep. Um, so uh, there'll be there'll be two sides to this. One, obviously, they'll need to, they'll need to have PowerShell seven uh, on the the end node um, with the the DSC. We we may vendor it. Um, I'm not sure yet if we do vendor. We'll vendor it into our dependency module, kind of up in the air on on whether and how we're going to do that. Because we again, we want to kind of take out the pain of like you shouldn't have to know that you need to deploy this module. And new DSC will be uh, in the in a, released in a module format instead of as part of the core language. They're moving it out of the core, um, which is you know means that it can be updated more frequently, but also means that I have to figure out how we're going to get that there. And then the other thing that they'll need to do is just update their version pin for the puppet module that is that has the dsc resources to the one that they want to use right the the new v3 class-based ones um and then that should all just work it it can theoretically assuming that there's no language features used in the dsc resource that are powershell 7 specific should still work with the windows powershell 5.1 stuff that should all continue to function there should be no difference they're not breaking the api contract as far as i know for the class-based resources, it's just that all the function-based resources will stop working. So, does uh, does PowerShell allow you to have multiple uh, instances installed? And if so, does PowerShell your PowerShell library does it know how to talk to those things, or does this mean that when users upgrade to PowerShell seven, they'll lose out on eighty percent of the resources until they until they start being upgraded? Nope, it can all be side by side and. Um, That'll all just work. So one of the other neat things that we we sort of touched on and then didn't go into is I mentioned that we vendor uh, the modules, right? The other thing is we don't just vendor the the PowerShell module, the DSC resources you want. We also vendor all of its declared dependencies. So presumably any DSC resource that's going to depend on this this um, the DSC v3 module is going to declare it as a dependency, which means that should just get vendored. So maybe that'll solve my problem for me. Um, that does mean that you might have you know 11 versions of the same thing sitting on your system. But since I think the current size of that module is like a meg, maybe you won't notice. So does this mean, um, just to make sure that I'm understanding right, this means that the runtime itself will be vendored. So uh, you'll be able to have as many runtimes as you need vendored into the PowerShell library. Yep. So, so the module and all of its dependencies will be vendored. 
And what that has has meant is there used to be some some conflicts um, with the original DSC, right? So if if two modules share a dependency and they have different version requirements for that dependency, we didn't have a way to resolve that. So we just kind of went oopsie whoopsies, good luck. So now we can, and they don't they don't cross over each other. There's no contamination. It's exactly what that module needs, and only what that module needs is what gets seen during a run. So we handle all that for you. Right on. So so what I'm hearing about here is that. The end user really just doesn't have to care about any of this. They can just keep writing puppet code and maybe they start using new modules when they come out. Maybe they don't, but it doesn't really matter. They won't, they won't even need to, to, to care about it. Yep. That is, that is uh, my goal, at least um, on the, the DevX team uh, maintaining this project is that for the end user, it should just be transparent. They shouldn't need to think too hard about it. If they have the things uh, that are, are meant to work, maybe they toggle a flag and they say, I want to use PowerShell 7 instead of 5 for some reason. Um, and if the, the resource supports it, that'll just work. And maybe they, you know, it, it just all kind of keeps functioning. We do that now by, by letting people pick different providers if they absolutely have to. Yep, but that works. That I, I mean, hearing a, tra a transparent, like painless, no effort involved upgrade uh, process, that just that makes me happy. That's something that we should all be uh, working for. Having lived through several very painful upgrade processes, it's it's always front of mind for me when we work on these things. That was one of the reasons why we wanted this to just as much as possible. The new approach to DSC is it's just puppet modules. From your perspective as a user, it's it's treated just like a puppet module, just like a puppet resource. You don't have to know or think about any of the other stuff, um, which is, you know, the ideal for me is that you've already spent so much time learning how puppet works and how to be effective with puppet. Why would I make you learn another thing? Um, so I just kind of want to enable that. All right. Well, it looks like we are running up on time here. So we're, we're going to have to uh, bring this to a close. It sounds like we've got a lot more to talk about, but uh, maybe that'll be for uh, another session. But are there ways that people could get in touch with you or, or anybody on the DevX team if they were curious uh, or wanted to maybe get involved with any of this? Are there ways you can get maybe in the Slack or social media or anything? Yep. Um, we can be reached in Slack. I hang out in the Windows channel um, primarily, but I'm also kind of just around generally. You can find me there, Michael T. Lombardi. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at TrebuchetOps. We also have discussion uh, pages up for... Uh, the DSC project in particular uh, on GitHub that we can probably drop a, a show link to, um, those kinds of things. And I'm pretty responsive to issues being filed. I check my GitHub notifications fairly regularly to prune out a lot of the noise. Um, but that is a, a great way to get in touch with us. I think you can also email us um, devx at puppet.com, I think comes to us. And I think dsc at puppet.com will come particularly to me, I'll be paying more attention to that one. Um, that is a uh, email address specifically for, for these uh, problems and projects. Right on. Well, this, uh, your modules, honestly, they, they really seem like the easiest way around to actually use DSE resources and, and to like keep up with uh, developments in the, the ecosystem. So I'm really glad to see this and, and seeing where, where we can go. And Pickaroons, honestly, sounds like a really fun game. I, I I have a few people I'm already thinking of that I want to introduce it to. So I'll make sure to put a, a link to that in the show notes. For sure. Thank you so much. Of course. Now, well, that's a, a wrap for now. And uh, once again, thank you for being here. And thank you for listening to the Pulling the Strings podcast powered by Puppet.